Here we go, rejecting this screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Adam Stenko is out West. We'll go open gym in a little bit. Talk about my 38th birthday. We'll talk about Christmas Day. As we record this on Monday, we'll also get into the James Wiseman situation, how it impacts the future of college basketball and the top of the NBA draft. But Adam, you're close to it out there in San Francisco with the way the Golden State Warriors are playing right now, sitting at 6-24. and 24. We're recording this on Monday. They do play the Wolves, so likely they'll be 6-25 and 25 by Christmas Day. And I thought it was pretty wild to look at their record over the past number of years on Christmas Day after their Christmas Day mm. game. 23-12, mm. yeah. 27-7, 27-5, 28-1, which is the bananas <laughs> year in 15, 23-5. And, and last year when they lost in the finals, and we've talked about this before, I tweeted, what happens when... Or if Steph has a slow start to the season, they shut him down mm-hmm. and essentially tank to get James Wiseman. Well, Steph didn't have a slow start to the season. He had an injured start to the season. And now it's coming full circle and they could have James Wiseman. And it's not the end of the world for this team. Yeah, I, I that's the interesting part for me, Noah, is how the Warriors look next year as related to this year, of course, as I think everyone feels that way. And the being here in the Bay area, you know, it went from just this horrified idea that the Warriors wouldn't be dominant again. And people didn't know how to deal with that to somehow accepting, okay, there's some injuries here. Oh, this is going to be bad. We have to take the brunt of, you know, other fan bases making fun of us because no one has, you know, the Warriors had won so much, and certainly no one has sympathy for Warrior fans right now. And then now it's turned into this like gleefulness about, oh wow, next year we're gonna get Steph, Draymond, Clay Thompson. Remember, Draymond's gonna be under contract, right? So, and then and then you combine that with the idea that you're gonna get a top lottery pick. And another factor that people really haven't taken into account is this idea that. You've also had a chance now to play the young guys. I mean, Jordan Poole and certainly Eric Pascal, those guys are getting experience, they're getting reps where, you know, on a championship level team, maybe there would have been some minutes and Steve Kerr always plays rookies and finds a way to mix them in, but not to the extent that that these guys have gotten a chance to play. So you combine all those things and all of a sudden the Warriors now have a very formidable looking roster. And I think my question for you and just thinking about this in general is this idea, you know, how much is it going to matter that they had what could ultimately just be like a bump in the road? You know, how much does it take a toll on you as a team knowing that you have these internal struggles and you go through this this losing stretch and and not just any losing stretch, but, you know, the worst team in basketball losing right. stretch. Right. I'm wondering they how that impacts they, them long term. Yeah, Adam, they could they could end up having the worst record in the history of basketball. So it's not just it. So when, when you go back and look at the records 30 years from now, and you go back and look at this, it doesn't even look like a speed bump. It's going to look like one of those giant craters in <laughs> the middle of the road that took construction crews months to fix. But when in fact things were just fixed overnight and for Steve Kerr, he gets a pass. How often? Do you get a pass when having the worst team in basketball? 
It just it does it doesn't happen. Never happens. And, and, Never. and you brought and you brought it up that he gets to have the the young guys playing, which is significant. But it also shows that a lot of the young guys aren't very good. But you also can't expect these guys to be twenty point twenty point a night lockdown defenders. All that well, we thought this team was going to be an awful defensive team to begin with. But at least you do get to see them play against NBA competition. But I, since the team is so bad, it's like the Jaleel Okafor thing. It's you know how do you measure stats on such an awful team? But for Steve, but for Steve Kerr, you get a pass. You do not. It's like with uh, we had the question about Draymond before when the season started. How good is Draymond without those other guys? Or if one of the stars like Steph got hurt, then is this how you judge Draymond, or is how you judge Draymond when he's with all the other guys? So how do you judge Steve Kerr? And it's wild. He's going to get a pass, and I think it's okay. Yeah, and I asked one of his friends the other day. You know, how is he taking all this? Because over the last few years, I mean, even during their successful run, he's been dealing a lot with the back injury and pain and 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 there's just been a lot of stress, you know, on him over the last few seasons. And I know, again, no one's going to have crazy sympathy for Steve Kerr, who's had a chance to win championships as a player and has did great as an executive and then as a broadcaster reached the mountaintop you know his buddy always says he's he's the Midas man you know everything he touches um turns to turns to gold but i but i think that in this scenario it's interesting that he is relaxed and comfortable and that tells you about where he thinks the state of the team is and they have options in terms of their salary cap situation again you know they they did the deal, the extension with Draymond, who was going to be a coveted free agent, so that's not hanging over their head this season. Clay Thompson is signed through 2023. He starts making over $40 million in 2022. You got uh, Steph Curry, who's going to be under contract uh, through the 2021 season. Another guy's going to be making $40 million. D'Angelo Russell under contract 2022. And obviously that'll be the big question, what they do with D'Angelo. I think everyone expects them to try to move him in some way. Although how do you do that at this point? But I just, my thing on the guys like Pascal and, and Poole was just more so to say, not that they were going to win. You and I have talked to, at length about the idea that anyone in the NBA can put up numbers. Anybody can put up numbers if they get opportunities that these guys are all that good, but it's the confidence part. And so to have a guy like Jordan Poole, who, you know, really needs to make shots to feel confident, having a chance to just go and be free and shoot every night. And Pascal being able to be a guy that people are talking, you know, I mean, he's like a 16 and six guy this year and they're talking star power and all these things. And how important, I mean, he's had a wonderful rookie year. And and the one thing that when he worked out, both of them actually worked out with Don McClain this off season. And Don had said to me, he's going to end up in the league. I mean, people weren't even talking about him being drafted at first or late second. And Don said, he'll get in the league because he knows how to play. He's a great locker room guy. He's athletic. He's tough. And you can just plug him in right away on your front line. And, you know, he handles it. And, you know, he's not going to hurt you. You can play him right away on your front line. And he's going to help you, give you front line help, any team in the league. So now to have that plus the confidence of playing a year as the man, um, I don't know that he'll score 16 again for the rest of his career. That might not happen. But having those guys in the rotation certainly is something that Kerr will, will appreciate. All right, coming up later. When it comes to the Warriors, they've got the Rockets on Christmas Day. I wonder if James Harden <laughs> tries to go for 100. 
that's on that's on Christmas Day coming up in Open Gym. Coming up next, speaking of the Warriors, baby James Wiseman is a member of that Golden State Warriors team next year. But what does it mean for college basketball and future pros? We'll get into that next in Rejecting the Screen. All right, back here, Rejecting the Screen. Noah Kozlov, Adam Stanko, just two plugged-in dudes talking hoops. James Wiseman decides to stop playing college basketball during the 12-game suspension. Mm -hmm. And everybody can go back and read the story. Penny Hardaway, who was considered a booster at the time, almost, well, soon to be the head coach at Memphis. He was the head coach at Memphis East High School. Moved James Wiseman's family, paid the $11,500 moving fee to move them a few hours. Seems like a lot of money just to move someone a few hours. But either way, moved them a few hours to have Wiseman play high school basketball at Memphis East for Penny Hardaway. I was listening to Gary Parrish on the Ion College Basketball podcast. And I think, and, and Gary's as plugged as in, in as it gets. And also he lives in Memphis and hosts a radio show in Memphis. Right. And he said that Wiseman's family was told that this was no big deal, that nothing was going to happen. So they took Penny's word for it after the money. They took mm -hmm. Penny's word for it that he wasn't going to get suspended. And then he got suspended. And then I think that would end, that w could impact how Penny gets players in the future if you know, simply ended up lying to the kid for all intents and purposes. But also, his scary said that Wiseman's teammates were really pissed. I mean, here's a Memphis team that has hopes of going to the Final Four and playing for a national championship. So as we do rejecting the screen, the popular thought is, oh, good for the kid, good for the kid, good for the kid. What about all the other kids that are now pissed at their teammate for leading him down a path where they actually thought, well, yeah, he's going to come back and we're going to keep playing. But now it's a different story. Great breakdown by, as you talk about Gary Parrish and, and Matt Norlander and, and the parallel that was drawn during, during that podcast was of Zion Williamson, who everyone thought was going to, I shouldn't say everyone, but there was, there was a substantial group of people out there who believed that Zion was never going to play college basketball after the injury. Why would he? Why would he risk it? And then, of course, he returns. And, well, they didn't reach the national championship. I think a lot of people gave him credit for returning to the court and playing with his teammates and all that stuff, which James Wiseman didn't do. Now, I'm, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. The, the point that, that Gary brought up and I think is significant is the idea that the timing was odd. And I think everyone found that to be strange because he could have chosen not to play college basketball at all and train for the NBA draft, which is something I want to get to in a minute. But that he had a choice to do instead of going to Memphis. And it, had he done that, he's still a top two pick. I don't think anything changes based upon his his play in college this year. Uh, so that's part one. And then part two, he could have also chosen once the NCAA decided that they were suspending him uh, or at least looking into the fact that he had violations. Because if you remember, it started out with at the beginning of the season, James Wiseman is 
ineligible, you know, the NCAA was going to rule him ineligible, that that there were infractions there. And Memphis decided to play him as they sought a court injunction. And then he then plays a few games. Then the NCAA comes down officially. And as you talk about 12 game suspension, and then it was actually not immediately following that, but a little while after the suspension was handed down. So the the idea that people have, and certainly Gary and, and Matt almost believe that you know someone got to him. And, uh, you know, there's an agent involved and all that, which, of course, we don't know as of right now that that story hasn't been officially out. But I think what is significant about this whole story in general is this idea that we hear all the time that every time one guy does it and I've and I've been a person that's believed this myself. Oh, this is going to be the one that opens up the floodgates. So as we've seen guys like Brandon Jennings decide to go overseas as opposed to play along with the NCAA rules as, as we've seen um, guys become ineligible. Uh, Terrence Ferguson was ruled that he wasn't, I think there was going to be some eligibility issues getting him into Arizona. He decides to go overseas. We've seen this over and over again now in college basketball and with these superstar players, but what makes this year unique, Noah, and I'm curious is how much this year will impact it. And uh, and certainly want your thoughts on this. You've now got James Wiseman, who won't be playing most of college basketball this year. He, I think, what, three games he had he played for Memphis, if that's correct. Uh, you've got R.J. Hampton that's overseas, and you obviously have LaMelo Ball. So if we see three lottery picks who did not play college basketball, how much is that going to impact what we see over the next few years? Maybe it's not right away next year, but over the next few years. And also, we've got Darius Baisley, who's just about to play for you know, just about to get a start for Oklahoma City um, is now becoming a, a bigger part of their rotation. He's a guy that decided he wasn't going to play college basketball last year as a major recruit. So curious as to your thoughts on all this. All right. So the I do think that it'll certainly impact the quality of college basketball because you want your best players playing. But the business of college basketball is barely affected because the NCAA tournament accounts for it's something like 80% of all total NCAA revenues, not just for basketball, but all NCAA revenues. So whether James Wiseman is playing or LaMelo Ball is playing in the NCAA tournament can only boost it, but it's not going, those guys not being there aren't going to bring ratings down or drop the television contract as we know it at the moment because fans are interested in their schools and it's a casual type event so if you're looking for high quality college basketball every single night you're you're probably not going to find it well unless you want to watch western kentucky and belmont on stadium coming up on december 28th if you don't want to watch the college football playoff i'll have that game from bowling green kentucky on the 28th no but deal. if nobody, but if you have if you have those guys playing, then sure, high quality hoops. That's what everybody wants. If there is a mass exodus, even during the one and dones, even if we end up going to one and done or not even one, one not one and done. I'm sorry, being able to go right to the Preps pros at a high pros school model. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Prep the pros. It's college basketball would just look different. That's all. But fans are still going to be pulling for their school because that it's their school pride. It's not player pride 
in college basketball. That's kind of the difference between college basketball and the NBA. And I think guys are still going to play in college. I, I still do. I think you're always going to have a certain amount of top tier players that are going to want to. I There is something to be said for games being on TV and exposure and, you know, or Absolutely. streaming or streaming on Facebook with stadium sure. as, as may be the case. I think that you look at a lot of these elite players have this option right now and they know that that's true. And, and, and when I say a lot also, that is such a thin amount. Here's the thing. You and I are both around a lot of college basketball and we understand, and we've talked about this a bunch that all division one players think they're going to the NBA that that's not hyperbole. That is not hyperbole. Mm-mm. If you talk to college basketball players, and I'm not talking about stars or even guys from Power Five conferences, as you start to go down the the bench, these guys all believe. And look, I understand the dream. You know, I'm 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 getting up there in age, and I still believe. You know, if I got that chance, if I got a call, you know, maybe the right thing can happen. Not my it. knee starts to feel Not better. I'm just saying that. My point is that dream is never going to go away. But it's even more different when you think about this social media era that we're in, the exposure these kids get while they're in high school, the hype machine that has grown so much, the machine itself. And I think there is just this belief now, just like my daughters believe that every TikTok video they do is going to go viral. There is this now belief that somehow these guys are going to get their shot. They just need a little more playing time. They just need one scout to see them and they're going to end up in the league. The guys that actually could afford to skip college, though, and just go and go overseas, go to the G League, find a different alternate path to league. Those guys, the guys that can afford to do that and think that they won't hurt their draft stock, have that confidence. That number each year, I mean, can't be higher than three or four. Now, maybe there's a few other guys that would consider it, but it can't be higher than three or four. So while we hear this every year, I think my thought is, yes, I'm with you, Noah. We may see it. and certainly. If they open up the door again, which they're saying is unlikely, you know, the 2021 draft to see this preps to pros model come back. But if they change again, the age minimum rule to go to the NBA, if that were to change, I still that one would would change. Yes, the dynamic of college basketball, all that we'd see more guys taking their chances. But I also think then the NBA would would have a greater support system than they had last time. And I think they would give players a chance to say, hey, maybe there's an opportunity. I think they'll try to work it in where you can still go to college if you end up Mm -hmm. undrafted, unlike we saw, you know, a decade ago. Yeah, college worked out for Steph, huh? LeBron didn't need it. Worked out for Steph. Yeah, case by case. Case by case. Pretty Pretty much everybody it's worked out for. Gone to college. Yeah. Play in the league. And then even in college basketball, then you end up getting more three, four year guys and fans of schools like that, because then they can actually follow careers and latch on to those types of players. You know, we we um, we spoke recently with Casey Jacobson last week. He was on the podcast and you talk about that era of college basketball and and some of the really good teams then. But you go even before that and go back to, you know, 90s college basketball and people make the argument as to why it's better. And it's not a generational thing as much as just this idea before you had guys who could leave 
they were able at the time high school guys could leave but guys were worried at that time during the 90s oh if i left i wouldn't get drafted and i'd be taking a major risk and all this but before kg did it and then you know and then kobe obviously and really set the trend in it and it just opened up again the the floodgates you know you'd have guys in the early 90s i mean there'd be five six nba players on a college team and now you look at the elite teams in college basketball you don't know what you're getting. And a lot of times these guys might be projected out as pros, but because they're so young and, and there's still question marks, you look right now at North Carolina struggling, wouldn't make the NCAA tournament right now. You know, Kentucky having issues, UCLA. I mean, powerhouse schools, blue blood programs aren't what they used to be. And in back in the day, you'd have a six seed that have, I'm not just talking about the elite. You'd have a six seed that would have five NBA players on its roster. That was not uncommon. All right, coming up, it's Christmas week, and we will have a podcast for you on Thursday going ISO with Coach Nick, B-Ball Breakdown. We'll ask him, what's it feel like when everybody yells at you and calls you an idiot? That's coming up on Thursday going ISO with Coach Nick, B-Ball Breakdown. Coming up next, Open Gym, what we're pumped about on Christmas Day and what I was so pumped about over the weekend. We're rolling out here for open gym, Adam, on Christmas Day. Celtics, Raptors, Bucks, Sixers. Bucks, Sixers is what I'm most pumped about. Rockets, Warriors. Does Harden try to go for a hundred? Like I, I think. I mean, I think he he could, he could go for eighty. I mean, the Warriors are horrendous, and the defense is even worse than that. But would Mike D'Antoni allow that to happen to Steve Kerr, to a Steve Kerr team? That's the question. But I think the NBA needs it, some sort of juice in that afternoon. Clippers, Lakers, as we record this now, LeBron hasn't played. So LeBron trying to get healthy for a Christmas Day, a big triumphant return. There's, I just, I just can't imagine LeBron missing Christmas Day no. against the Clippers. And then no. the Pelicans and the Pelicans and the Nuggets, the league's going to struggle with that one also. Because Jokic yep. just hasn't, Jokic, I mean, the Nuggets have been playing well recently. Jokic hasn't brought it all year, and, he, and he's not the star that they that the league needs to be able to carry that 10-30 game without Zion playing for the Pelicans. But what do you think, real quick? And so I'm most pumped about Sixers-Bucks. Yep. Yeah, I yep. think it's going to be a bloodbath. What what do you think about like the possibility of a Harden 70 on Christmas Day? Uh, that You know, no, I was going to ask you, what, what we... I'm trying to think about what the number looks like if everything goes right and James Harden just has one of those nights and the Rockets just say, let's go for it. They don't sit him out the fourth. Uh, he's healthy. He's got energy. His teammates around him. And look, Harden's going to take his shots anyway. I mean, that's going to happen. But but if all of a sudden the threes are falling and he's getting to the line, which you know is going to happen, what is the max number that Harden could get uh, against the Warriors. And you're right. I mean, we, I absolutely think it is 80 is within, within reach. There's, n- I, I have no doubt about that. And that it, it sounds it's Christmas absurd. Day, Christmas Day, right after Giannis plays against Joel Embiid, two of the other MVP candidates. Giannis right now is the MVP. And it's the, the perfect opportunity for Harden on Christmas Day with that, with the national audience and folks decide that. The NBA starts on Christmas Day. I think the I think the Kobe eighty one is within his sights. Yeah, because 
for the modern era player, the other part is that that 81 is really the record, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. Because no one's touching Wilt. No one's touching Wilt, even James Harden. I don't think we're we're going to reach 100 um, in our lifetimes, at least. And so because of that, people look at the benchmark as being Kobe's 81 against the Raptors. And the only thing I think that could hold this back, I mean, if you're James Harden, you have to be licking your chops and this idea that you could do this and all. The only thing that could be holding you back is you saw what happened. We, we talked about how big Thursday nights, last week's games on Thursday were. And the Rockets play the Clippers and they get this monster contribution of, from Russ Westbrook, who it looked like his best performance of the year. And in large part, not because Russ was just otherworldly, but because Russ had opportunities on offense, which he really hasn't had this year. He was he was taking a lot of shots and really involved. And, and there was some deferring to Russ, which we really haven't seen as much from Harden this year. He's Harden's been more of a scorer than a, a facilitator, even though his, his passing, you know, his assist numbers have been good. I, I think that D'Antoni has to be questioning and Russ now has to be questioning. If we are going to have success against some of the big guns in the league, you know, are we really going to make an effort to get Westbrook more involved on the offensive end, which also could translate defense. I mean, their issues have been on the defensive end, not offensively. But anyway, that's my wonder is that any hardened, crazy scoring numbers, will they be held back? Because now the Rockets are trying to focus on getting Westbrook more involved in the offense. Yeah, but it's against the Warriors. So, so I don't think they really need it. So, yeah, then you're probably right. Then you're probably right. I agree. I agree that they don't need it for sure. For sure. So over the weekend, I turned 38. Yeah, turned happy 38 birthday, on... Noah. Thank you. Thank no you. big deal. Yeah, no big deal. 38 on Sunday, and I've been battling this cold for like a week and a half. I was in Boston for a day last week, and I was feeling a little bit better before I went to Boston. Hit Boston, and it was like five below. Could barely, you couldn't even be outside, couldn't breathe, came home, and I was just, I was wiped. I felt awful. But my daughter, Eden, who's five, it said for my birthday, she wanted to start a tradition that a day near my birthday, that it would be just the two of us all day. Since I'm gone a lot during college football season, calling games, college hoop season, calling games. And so it'd be nice just to have the day, the two of us. So that's what we planned on on Saturday. Battling a little bit of a cold, but there was nothing that was going to keep me away from having this day with Eden. So we woke up in the Sorry, morning. Sorry, honey, I've got to cancel. Yeah, right. No chance. You hear this cough? Sorry. No chance. So we went to gymnastics together, which was nice. Then we went out to lunch next door. And then I think she enjoyed my, she had chocolate chip pancakes. And I think she enjoyed my, uh, my omelet with feta, feta cheese and spinach even a little bit better because she kept asking for, which, which is one of her favorite things, but she kept asking for, for more of that. Then we went to the, the MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, just reopened. So we went there and had a nice time. But she was, she was asking me a lot, like, you know, what does this mean? What does this mean, you know, a certain art at, at the MoMA? And I said, Eden, I just, I don't know. Like, I can't figure out why this blue canvas that says that is an interpretation of the sky, why that is art. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's blue. I, I don't, I don't know. Or like, this red canvas with a white line down the middle, what that represents. I don't know. Like you put another line across, then it's Switzerland flag. 
I, I don't I don't know. But what this it, banana over here. But this banana, right, I totally right, understand. Right, right. I get I that totally one. Understand. I get that one. And then came home. Jared and, and, and when went out to dinner. She had asked. She loves seafood, and she asked if we could go out for oysters. Again, five. So we, uh, so we got all dressed up. She wanted me to wear a jacket and tie, and she had a dress on. <laughs> That's and adorable. The two, and the two of us went out. Uh, two of us went out to dinner. We sat there. We had we had um, we had two dozen oysters together. She she had a full dozen herself, and she doesn't she doesn't dip it in anything. Just like. A little bit of lemon juice, and then sucks it right off the uh, right off the shell, and and then we had then we shared a few other things, and then when the when the and she had a purse with her, and she never carries a never carries a purse with her. And the when the waitress came and asked if he wanted dessert, she said, "No thanks, I'll just take the bill." And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I and I looked and she's and she smiled and came over to me and she said, Dad, I have I have money to pay for dinner. Mom mom gave me money. I said, Oh, okay. Well that's really sweet of you. So they came back with the bill and we laid out the cash and that was that. And it was and it was like it was it was one of those days that was it, I, I I told her it was one of the best days of my life. She told me it was one of the best days of her life, and so this now this tradition will will carry forward. But it was a great way. Uh, it was a great way to start it. Wow. Well, happy birthday. Thanks, pal. Uh, I know that. I think on my birthday, you and I got into the discussion about the most meaningful and least meaningful ways that people can honor you on your birthday, and we we sort of went through some loose rankings about how you know a phone call is always top of the you know an in-person meeting maybe sending a gift maybe it's top of the rankings and then you go to phone call and then it's i think text then maybe a tweet you know somebody personalizes a tweet for you as as you know i'm just going to point out i i did i did that and also did an instagram story but look you know again no big deal not big deal um but the uh the facebook message is one too the where does where does like the um, the dentist office automated birthday? Yeah, I got one email. of those. Yeah, where concern, does that rank? Concern Dental. I got one of those. Yep, I got one. Of where those. does that rank on the uh, birthday list of uh, ones that mean something to you? I don't. I mean, I don't. I, I know that if I open it, it's not going to say twenty percent off your next visit. So I just <laughs> I just delete it. I don't even free don't braces even, for your daughter. Don't even you know. take. Don't even take the time to open it. The uh, no, I, I'm I'm glad that you had a great birthday, and that's the the sneaking the cash to the daughter is a is a great move. Yeah, so it was great. Mar- Marissa won that one, I think. Oh, that's, that's for a, sure. It's a good and job. also that's a good and job. also Marissa won the day for herself because she had the day to herself. <laughs> it only cost her whatever dinner costs. So right, exactly. That's exactly. that's perfect. Yeah, they, well, they woke me up with uh, they had, they made muffins in the morning, and they woke me up with those. And uh, it was really nice. It it's really awesome. Nice. Well, I, I wish you a, a very happy birthday. And, Thanks, uh, pal. You know, appreciate your friendship and, and certainly getting the opportunity to, uh, to co-host this pod. Uh, I don't really have much for Open Gym other than what I'm, I'm pumped about this week. You know, you, you mentioned, uh, obviously, the NBA slate, which is going to be awesome. 
Hopefully LeBron plays. I have no doubt that he that he will. For me, NBA draft wise, as we've gotten into the tradition of doing, um, December thirtieth, Seton Hall, DePaul, for NBA draft folks. Miles Powell, who is such an interesting prospect, probably won't play. He was injured, and, and the talk is now that he won't play in that game. But DePaul has a kid named Paul Reed, who is averaging 15 points, 10 boards, three blocks a game. He's skinny, he's long, he's explosive, almost has a Darius Miles body from back when, when he played, if we want to talk some, some old school stuff. He, he can make threes, shot needs some work, but Paul Reed is explosive and really is having a phenomenal year. Um, his improvement over the course of his college career has been incredible, and now he's being looked at as a draft pick. He's a kid who could end up as a first-rounder as his game continues to develop. So Paul Reed against against the uh, Seton Hall front line for me is uh, the NBA draft game to watch this upcoming week, December 30th. Yeah, and the Dayton-Colorado game last week was an exciting one also. Well yeah, done. Obi Toppin hit a well, here's the thing. We talked about the matchup of Obi Toppin and, and Tyler Bay. Mm-hmm. Obi Toppin hits a th- you know, had some incredible dunks. That kid's phenomenal. He's gonna be a really good NBA player, I think. Um, still figuring things out, moves really well for his size. But he he hit a big three late uh to send the game into overtime. And then in overtime, with Colorado down, um, they got the ball in the paint to Bay. He got double teamed and he kicked out to an open three-point shooter, Deshaun Schwartz, who who hit the game-winning three for Colorado in overtime. So both players had big moments late in the game. And uh, give credit to those guys. I think NBA scouts will be excited about what they saw from both of them. All right, well, if you enjoyed this or just want to give me a belated birthday present, subscribe, download, rate, review, and share it. Do all five things around the holidays. We usually (laughs) ask you just to share it today since it's the holidays, my birthday. Share it download it, subscribe, rate, review. And again, if you want to suggest guests to us for the Thursday long-form Going ISO edition, do that on Apple iTunes. Just click the five stars and then leave a name for the guest. Coming up on Thursday, we'll have Coach Nick from B-Ball Breakdown. And also, you can go back and listen to all of our previous episodes of Going ISO. They're all pretty much evergreen. Casey Jacobson, Stan Mitchell, Ryan Rossillo, Peter Vesey, Howard Beck, and a host of others. You can follow Adam on Twitter at NaysmithLiz. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Enjoy the holidays. Going ISO on Thursday. Thanks, Adam. Happy birthday, Noah. You're the best.